Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Lazry Leaves Milwaukee Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. All right, you went Lazry. I thought you were going to go Bucks, but you went Lazry. <laughs> All right, I don't hate it. It's fine. Very, very easy. Everybody knows. Uh, yesterday uh, morning on a story that we reported on how long? About a month ago? Yeah, a little bit less. Early February. All right, it doesn't always come to fruition, but we had reported that Jimmy and Dee Haslam, of course, best known as owners of the Cleveland Browns, were in talks to acquire... Mark Lassery's, uh, give or take, 25% stake in the Milwaukee Bucks. And it seems as if they've reached agreement and uh, we will have Haslam's in, Lassery out. Interested just in how it, uh, many, many reasons, like why is Lassery getting out? What was the real motivator? Uh, Jimmy and D adding to the portfolio. What else are they looking at? Uh, the valuation certainly raised some eyebrows, and it's all tied together, by the way, because uh, the valuation is second, and I'll let you get to the specifics, but second to Matt Ishbia's valuation of the Suns, you know, when he took 50% or 50 plus percent of the franchise. And Matt, before he had the Suns, he was talking to Mark Lasry about buying this very stake. Of the Bucks, only he went in a different direction. So I'll set it up that way. You tell me which angle would you like to tackle first, Mister Novi Williams? Yeah, you hit a lot there, Scott. Let's start with the with the valuation number. Three point five billion dollars is the valuation on the Bucks as part of this transaction. It's the second largest valuation ever for us for an NBA team. You mentioned the, the biggest one, the four billion dollar valuation on Matt Ishbia's uh, takeover of the Phoenix Suns from just a few months ago. Um, and this is a, it just shows, Scott, that the, the dramatic appreciation we've seen in the NBA. Wes Edens and Mark Lazary are, are relatively, in the grand scheme of things, relatively new NBA owners. They led a group to buy the Bucks in 2014 for $550 million. So you can do the math on that. In, in less than a decade, this team went from 550 million at, at the time when people thought they were crazy, went from 550 million to 3.5 billion. That, that's almost a 7x just in that time frame. Yeah, but, but I don't want to just gloss over that because you yep. said when people thought they were crazy, um, that, that's sort of like an easy way. But I mean, let's, let's make sure that our listeners understand. We, you, me, whoever else does this, you could not find an investment banker. <laughs> who worked in the sports realm that would say a nice thing about that acquisition. Yeah. They, like, 
explain it to me. This makes no sense. I don't get it. Milwaukee, there's a terrible market, but they don't know what they're getting into. More so, even though it was only $550 million, and I air quote only, more so than Balmer and his $2 billion mm-hmm. for the Clippers. I think people, he said, well, you know, passion play, it's literally beachfront property, it's, a, it's LA, the number two market, but this Milwaukee group is crazy. They don't know what the heck they're doing. Okay, who's laughing now? And from an ownership standpoint, they, they've done they've done a great job, right? They, they delivered a championship. They have in, in Giannis Antetokounmpo, one of the one of the biggest, most talented stars in the sport. They have a brand new arena, Pfizer Forum or Pfizer Center uh, that that opened just a few years ago. Uh, there, there's a whole bunch of things. Revenue, I think, has tripled in, in 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 the time that they have owned the team. There's a whole bunch of things to point to. Uh, that that the Wes Edens and Mark Lazary uh, experience ownership stewardship in Milwaukee has been a huge success. You asked earlier, kind of what's going on with Mark? What, why are you looking to exit after a- achieving all of this? I think there's a few things. Uh, who, who who knows what he has coming up next? But there may be some some business interests he's looking to pursue. Um, that 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 getting out of the Bucks either gives him one the capital or two the the freedom to pursue. And secondly, the the way that Wes and Mark set this up, they alternate as the the, the team's leading governor, the main decision maker. Yeah, explain this. That. This is an important part of this transaction. How they how this setup works? They, they alternate every, every five years, and and Mark has one year. From what I understand, he has whatever's left in this season, and then one more season as the lead guy, and then he looks at a long period where he does not have the the the, the main controlling decision making he's not the the team's main representative at league meetings i think owning the bucks is a lot more interesting and a lot more fun for someone like mark lazary when you are the guy and you are the one making all the decisions and going to the meetings and doing all that versus what it looks like which it was in the first 5 years of their time together when when wes is the guy so in some ways i think the timing here is 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 very specifically rooted to that that if that if Mark was beginning another five year stint right now, that I think he would be probably a, a, a bit less likely uh, or less interested in in exiting. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think that the, the structure of that deal that that, that rotates the league the lead owner, I think, is something that, that that really does influence the timing here. All right, now I'm going to put my ear to terra firma. What are we hearing? All right, let's get the little insider value add. What it looks. We know Mark Lassery likes sports. All right. Uh, no, no way he's getting out of sports. You know, like yeah. you said, this this gives him uh, a, a nice nest egg uh, upon which he can now pursue sports, sports tangential, pretty much what we're seeing from, from a bunch of these firms. But when it comes from the perspective of somebody who has been in control of a major sports franchise, I think it's a little bit easier. Not only deal flow, especially, you know, Marks with Avenue Capital, deal flow comes through there anyway. He's going to hear things. He's going to see things. Now he's got an expertise. He's got a point of view. Um, he's got a history. He's got a reputation. All those things help. So there's that. Then there's also sort of the, the personality part of it. Hmm. I don't have any specifics, but more than one person has said to me that Wes Edens and Mark don't exactly see eye to eye on a number of issues. And with with the the setup that you just described, if you are not in simpatico with your partner, by the way, Jamie Dynan, also part of the ownership group. But if you're not seeing eye to eye with one of those partners, I I would imagine if like Steve Paliuk and Wick Grosbeck didn't really see eye to eye, it would be very difficult to operate the Celtics 
together. And there, there are a bunch of those, but that's why everybody wants control. You know, that's that's why limited partner stakes are discounted anywhere from, you know, whatever, 15 to 20 to 35, 40%, because there's just, you know, you don't get the control. You, you have to pay for that, right? And it's a very difficult situation. If for whatever reason, I'm not saying they're they're mortal enemies. I'm saying they don't always see eye to eye and makes a partnership very difficult. So um, if one of them has reason to exit stage left at a great number, do very well for him and herself and pursue other, no, no pun intended, avenues, go for it. Then it makes perfect sense. L- let's shift, Scott, and talk about Jimmy and D Haslam. There you you go. mentioned they own the Cleveland Browns. They also own the Columbus crew, the MLS team down in Columbus. They have looked at for a while, a, a lot of different opportunities in terms of expanding that portfolio. This is not from what I understand the first NBA team that they were interested in. They, they were, uh, obviously when the, when the Timberwolves were for sale, they, they were talking to Glenn Taylor and they were there right at the end in terms of an offer uh, for the NBA team, from what I understand, they've also been interested and, and have talked about maybe acquiring the Columbus Blue Jackets if that was an opportunity that arose at some point. Uh, I won't say that Milwaukee and Cleveland are necessarily close to each other, Scott, but geographically, they're not that far relative to the rest of, of, of the NBA What's teams. our rule? What's the ownership rule we've heard about? Your protractor rule, yeah. You want to lay your, your head on the pillow at the end of the night. Cleveland to uh, to Milwaukee definitely allows you to do that. My question for you Ownership in, if, if you own multiple teams in the same city, the synergies are, are extremely obvious there. How much synergy do you think the Haslam Sports Group gets having an NFL team in Cleveland and then a, a significant chunk of, a, Milwaukee, of a, a basketball team in Milwaukee? I would say both in an intellectual curiosity way, both in a best practices way, there are certain synergies that they can extract. Uh, hmm. uh, one will certainly help the other. Are you marketing to the exact same fan group? Like ticket buying? No. But as you and I know, the the sports fan of today is not the sports fan of 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, I'm not sure if the loyalty is to the put city name here, but I can tell you there's a whole lot of Giannis Antetokounmpo fans all around the globe. Hmm. And, and probably... Uh, true in Cleveland as well. Um, Remember years ago, and I don't know how specific I've been before, but one sports league was talking to us about how they wanted to group order toilet paper, like really going down to reduce your unit cost on things like that. Uh, You now have an NFL team and a stadium and a a big stadium that does concerts and events and, and, and basketball games. Hey, maybe we figure out if there's a way to, for us to to lower cost for each other there on a whole bunch of goods and services. So I think it's always not the same. I, let, let's not pretend it's not the same as owning the Milwaukee Brewers, the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, one town, all the teams. That's a, that's obviously I think the, the dream scenario, but certainly um, reasons to to move forth because you're you're building platform companies. Let's look at. Uh, Look at Fenway Sports Group, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got Liverpool, same, same. you've yep. got Red Sox, you've got Pittsburgh Penguins, different cities, different sports. Operationally, though, things they can do together. I think that's what the Haslam's are looking at here. And let's not forget, by the way, maybe they can even uh, you know rope in Brother Bill, who who just bought a hockey team, right? And and say, hey, why don't you you know see what we all can do together? Um, I, I think there's a bigger picture play here for the Haslam's 
than just sort of that myopic thinking of, of the past. I'm glad you mentioned Fenway. The other group I was going to mention or person was David Blitzer, right? Who owns a, a basketball team in Philadelphia, a hockey team in, in, in New Jersey, a, a significant stake of a baseball team in Cleveland. He owns a, a, a soccer team and, and a women's soccer team about to be in, in Salt Lake City. Uh, they are geographically in very, very different places and a football team in Pittsburgh. And, and, EP, uh, and an EPL team. And, and an EPL team outside London. So yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of, this is a trend I think we're seeing, which is that the, 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 the cross league ownership, which I think for a while was very kind of very situated largely on, on, on inner city, like within the same city types of types of uh, organizations are now very much spreading out to include teams from all over. And I think everything you just said is exactly right. And do we need to rope in Redbird and Jerry Cardinal in this discussion? Because Another it's not example. even now, yeah. it's not even just teams in different places. I mean, he's got a league, right? Yeah. And he's got entertainment properties and he's got a French soccer team. And, and he's invested in Fenway Sports, so that gives him a little bit of everything there. So I think everybody is seeing that when we say the sports and entertainment world, right? ESPN might have it right that the E comes first. Everybody's looking at all of this. Nobody ever disputed the notion that sports was entertainment. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I think there was still a distinction between a movie and a sporting event. And now I think everybody's just sort of looking at the, at the compilation of assets and how do we utilize them in a very broad entertainment portfolio, whether it's content, whether it's live, whether it's real estate, whether it's media, how do we utilize all of these assets together to generate revenue? And this is just sort of your next little platform company movement towards towards that emerging uh, that emerging class. And we've got a built-in transition here. Scott Tillman Fertitta owns a basketball team in Houston, and he yeah, is what? looking at potentially buying a football team in D.C. What are your thoughts? What do you know about the latest known bidder for the Washington Commanders? All right. Well, yeah. Kudos. Who wrote it? The Post, right? Did the, did the Post write Post that? Yeah, because yeah. you and I have been hearing that Tillman was was looking for a while. We knew he was sort of eyeing, but we'd also been hearing, uh, here's your value-add trumpet, that his many of his advisors, those close to him, are saying, Tillman, you're leveraged. You're highly leveraged on the basketball team. You own casinos, right? So th those have to go. Are you really going to liquidate those holdings and then try and get in uh, on a football team that we're looking at six plus billion dollars. So we'll see where that goes. Let's not forget, by the way, if we're talking platform companies, that Tillman Fertitta has also uh, been clamoring about getting a hockey team for his mm -hmm. building in Houston. And I think a lot of people looking at the Arizona Coyotes, if things don't work out there, if they don't get a building, you can't play in the mullet center or whatever it is, the mullet forever. Um, so yeah, he's been on this trend as well. But Bezos hires Allen and company to examine weather, which seems a little odd to me, right? Like, Jeff, you want it? Don't you want it? Oh, no, he, he was held out by Dan Snyder. Like, I laugh at the silliness that we read. Like, I really do. Yeah. I, I, I chuckle at the silliness. I don't see how anybody did not believe or know that Jeff Bezos would be around this thing mm. at, at the end. I, I felt like it was almost the, almost the same as Steve Cohen and the New York Mets. All the other bidders for the Mets were like, oh, you know, Cohen's out there as a stalking horse. No, no, he's not going to be involved. I mean, one 
one banker even went so far as to propose to the client that there be a Steve Cohen clause in there, like they get reimbursed for for all the money they're going to spend on due diligence and everything else. Like, <laughs> they wasted if, their if, own time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waste your time and money. If you're, if you're telling me for sure that Steve Cohen is not going to be a part of this process, then you know, indemnify me here. I don't. I don't want to spend a whole bunch of money if I don't. If this guy's there, I feel the same with Bezos. At the end of it all, if it's five and a half, like if that's what the top bid is, okay. Roger Goodell picks up the phone, calls Dan or calls uh, Jeff Bezos and says, "Well, we've got five and a half. If you want it, you're going to have to pay six. I don't know. I don't know what the delta is between you know the highest bid and what it's going to take." Uh, this is not an estate sale, as you and I have talked uh, before. If this mm -hmm. was a trust or estate sale, you know the law is simple. There, you got to take the highest bid. Dan Snyder, whether he has a grudge or not, or who knows, like he can say no to Jeff Bezos if, if he wants. He can keep him out of the process. Uh, I doubt he will. I'm sure there's a number at which he says, "All right, for five hundred million dollars extra, you can have the team." You know, I don't know what that delta is, but I, I'm guessing that it it does exist. And then we're wondering, what if the number's not quite there and Bezos doesn't want to go that high? How hard are NFL owners willing to push to get him out? Where does that stand? We've got another investigation still to come with the results. We're going to be hearing about all that over all over again. Uh, I think you and I are skeptical that the NFL owners would would really subject themselves to the process yeah. uh, and, and risk litigation with Dan Snyder. And then we're talking about depositions of NFL owners. Nobody wants that. That's always like that's the scariest thing, right? That is the, that is exactly what owners fight to avoid. They do not want to be deposed under oath. You know, that's when all the secret sauce comes out. So, yeah, you and I are I, I think we're in alignment like boy, they don't want to go that route. So, is there a chance that Dan Snyder who maybe never really wanted to sell anyway has let enough time pass? There's other things going on in the world. People like, ah, well, whatever, you know. And uh, and he winds up retaining control. Does he sell a 40% stake? I hear he's looking at an LP stake sale as well. Is there a path to control? If so, how much? What's the discount on the time frame? Millions of things to discuss, which is why we have so much fun doing what we do. The thing I keep coming back to about this commander's process is, and, and we've talked about it, it bears repeating, just how incredibly expensive NFL teams are. This yeah. is a... $6 billion asset plus or minus a billion potentially. We'll see what the end number gets out if, if, if it actually is sold. But the way the NFL structures these things, the, the, the 30% that you need to have in cash at the onset, the limited amount of debt that you can take out, which is, which is significantly smaller percentage of the, of, of the process than a lot of other leagues. And then layer on the fact that the NBA will let you buy a team with significant funding from a private equity firm. And right now the, the NFL does not I mean, outside of Jeff Bezos, who does not have a liquidity problem. Uh, he's the third richest man in the world. Not an issue. Uh, does Tillman Fertitta or even Josh Harris, the two other bidders that we know of right now for the commanders, do they have enough money to pull this off? I'm not, I'm not convinced that, that either of them. I can, I can answer do. that question. I can answer that question. Yeah. If you want me to No, not yeah. right now. No, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, yeah. and, no. and I think that, that it's, it's such an interesting position that the NFL is in, which is that it has been, so successful it's it's business so far in the past couple of decades has been so ironclad and so bulletproof that they've reached this point where you, you have these sales and 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 Rob Walton bought the bought the Broncos and and great he's the 11th richest person in the world but that we're increasingly seeing especially for a team like the Commanders which is worth a lot more than the Broncos are there's just so few people 
out there that can buy this thing. And and if Jeff isn't interested or if Dan really hates Jeff enough to refuse to sell to him, whatever it is, if it's not Jeff Bezos, um, I, I just have a hard time seeing how either of, of these really rich billionaires that we're talking about have the ability to pull this off without the NFL loosening its rules, which I don't think is going to happen or something changing. It just, it, it just doesn't really add up to me in some ways. All right. Yes. All right. Good things bouncing around in my head. One is let's not forget about the real estate play here, right? Mm-hmm. Ken Dan Snyder with his sullied, what's the right word? Sullied reputation around I think town. that's kind, you know, but can, yes. All right, can, he, can he get a new stadium? Because you and I also know that prospective owners of sports teams love a project. They don't want ready-made. This comes with, I, I think, a new owner much like sort of Mark Walter and Bowley coming in on the Dodgers, taking over mm-hmm. um, for Frank McCourt. Like they could do no wrong. They were fans were just happy to have them. You can get whatever you want. I, I think a, a new owner would have an easy path to a nice deal on a new building that would be another cash register for the NFL and for the team. Uh, I would think any limited partner brought in would have to have some real estate expertise. I would look that way for sort of what's the value add on not just the money, maybe with a path to control, if it goes that route. If not, I'm really interested to see if, if Dan can get a new building. If he, I, I, I'm just not sold on whether or not he can get that new building. Last I checked in with my folks, the NFL was adamant, by the way, Evan, that the rules will not be changed for the yep. commander sale. Hmm. And if that is true, uh, and I have no reason to doubt it, I would be really interested to see how prospective bidders and real bidders now get creative with the groups that we would probably throw into a private equity bucket. Yeah. But as you know, uh, these folks get awfully creative when they when they need to be, and this may be a situation where they need to be. I would not be shocked if, in some way, shape, or form, wink, wink. Maybe I know something. <laughs> if if some of these firms uh, were not trying to figure out a structure for involvement that would pass mustard with the NFL. So a uh, private equity fund just becomes a high net worth individual all of a sudden yeah. just for the purpose of, uh, yes. of a single transaction. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Something <laughs> to overly simplify what I'm sure is a much more complicated discussion. Yeah. Something, something to that effect. Yeah. John Q. Football as representative of something is the is the person backing as a minority investor. Correct. So, that's so la- last question I have for you before we move off, off the commanders. Um it seems, I think you would agree with me, that if, if Jeff Bezos was willing to pay $7 billion in cash, that this thing would have sold already. Am I right in thinking that the the reason we're kind of in this nebulous zone is that maybe all the bids, Jeff's, if, if there has been any kind of actual discussion of price, is just way lower than the NFL or, or maybe more specifically Dan Snyder would have wanted? Another simple uh, one, uh, monosyllabic answer, yes. Yeah, I, think yeah, that, I don't I, think 5.5 gets it done for Dan Snyder. And then he can go to the NFL and say the only reason, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this is right, I'm saying what his case would be, would be the only reason I'm getting these lowball offers is because everybody perceives this as a forced sale. So I can I I will litigate against you if you try you know I don't want to sell it if you try to force me to sell it that's the litigation I was talking about like that's sort of the scenario where we are right now if he's not going to accept five and a half you know, you know uh, then or six I, I don't know what the number is where ultimately he will say 
okay, I don't need this headache and a la Mark Lassery, I'll go do something else. Um, but right now it would certainly seem that it, there's a line of demarcation for Dan Snyder and the offers are below that line. Yeah, so I think, I think how that plays right out way, remains to be seen. Yeah. I think that's the right way to, to, to couch this whole thing, right? It's just that th- there have been bidders, but it seems like nobody, Jeff Bezos included, a- as yet is getting to the number that makes this very easy. And as a result, uh, we could be looking at a very difficult, a very difficult process, both for Dan, for the bidders, and, and really for the rest of the NFL over the next few months. Yeah, when I my, my thing a while ago was like, Bezos should just go public with a $7 billion offer and the team is his, right? Yeah. But that was assuming, my assumption was that the bids would have already come in at 6 plus. Yeah. Between 6 and 6.5, you know, somewhere in there. And if that's not the case, if we're at 5.5, five, like, even though he's got all the money, it you don't you don't get that way by recklessly spending. He's not like, going to. I'm not going to go. Yeah, I'm not going to go. You know, one and a half billion clear to make this happen. Like I would say to us, well, I think 500 million clear is enough, don't you? And if you don't, then good luck figure it out for yourself because I don't need it. Agreed, and something we'll obviously be talking about moving forward uh, in future podcasts. Scott, let's wrap it up with some news that our colleague Eric Jackson broke on Monday. Uh, a consortium led by Rudy Klein Thomas, a, a man with a lot of connections in shout out in, Rudy, in, in friend, various friend of the program, various athletes, um, nearing a deal to purchase a significant stake of athletes first. That is an, an agency represents Dak, Dak Prescott and Aaron Rodgers among many others. Uh, buying a stake owned by Dentsu, the advertising giant from Japan, which is interesting to me. Um, give us a breakdown of who Rudy is and, and and what you think about this one. Well, how about I just say Google Rudy Klein C L I. N E. Okay, we'll do we'll do it that way. Rudy Klein hyphen. You love the hyphens, Thomas, and and Business Week. You know, uh, it, you can see a picture of Rudy standing between Andre Iguodala, his partner in many ventures, and mm. Steph Curry. And it isn't often when you've got two NBA players and a and a business mind that the other guy who you wouldn't ordinarily recognize would be you know most prominent in the middle. Well, that's Rudy. You know, yeah. Rudy Rudy's there on the cover and we had talked to him, you know, you and I were both at Bloomberg at the time when that story was written and we and we know Rudy well. Um although Rudy I, I'm a little angry with you for not calling me back on this story. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I understand NDAs and all but you know, come on, hook a brother up. If, uh, if, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're listening. Come on, man. Um hope we didn't blow anything up for you. But you know, Ru- Rudy's been very instrumental and and I love this this is Rudy was in a space where others are now getting to long before they were, and that's sports adjacent, sports adjacencies, and that's media, real estate, tech, finance. It's all about being involved in the ecosystem, and that's where he's been. So, um, you know, I'm not surprised that uh, when somebody told me, when Eric told me, "Hey, this is who was involved," I was like, "Oh, makes perfect sense to me. I know Rudy. Yeah, that make that makes sense." Um, but. I don't know these these representation firms. You know, it's not the easiest business in the world. And what Aaron Rodgers is a client. This is a big NFL company, right? They got they represent a lot of NFL players. Um, margins aren't great. You know, they're the front porch of things. But hey, let's see what he's got. Let's see what he's got. Wrap it up for me. Yeah, that, that, everything you said sounds good. Uh, that is it for us, Scott. He is Scott Soshnik, uh on Twitter at Soshnik. I am Evan Novi Williams. On Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. Show is produced by Matt Whitehurst. Shout out to Matt. Our digital media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to know that you can download this show wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>